You're listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Let us pray. Father, for the gift of your word we celebrate this morning, praying for the gift of your spirit now that not only unites us together, but brings your word to life, a power that transforms us so that we might follow more and more you on the way. Grace us, we pray, for your glory in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So it is a gift and a challenge to be with you all today, to bring you greetings. I've longed, always longed to do that, like Paul, to say, I bring you greetings from the community, the church from which you called, Dan and Cindy, who this day miss them desperately, who miss their encouragement, their fellowship, and especially Dan's wonky use of the Queen's English. My my life and my wife, Linda, and I have become family with Cindy and Dan for 15 years, celebrating life together and the lives of our children now forever intertwined together. Deep is theirs and our love together in God. And the challenge though today is to not only recognize this, but to celebrate with you God's calling of them into ministry with you now. One that we will only get to hear about from this day forward that is shared only through words and pictures when we're blessed to be together or through modern technology of Facebook and Instagram rather than the intimate participation that we've been blessed by for the last 15 years. But celebrating we are. And we will continue to do through the Holy Spirit's weaving now of not only their lives, but your lives together this morning. Beginning with what I think is the most appropriate thing, through the gift of worship, central to our lives found in Jesus Christ, and also the challenge through the most Presbyterian of rites, the installing of a pastor to and with a congregation. It's an occasion that marks out the calling of a pastor that acknowledges their responsibilities and duties and a reminder to the congregation of their duty to follow that pastor's lead. I told you it would be challenging. And it's with these thoughts in my head as I prepared and thought about to choose a simple passage from Mark's gospel, which then really challenges me. And if you knew me better, you would know that's an euphemism for it bothers me. Because anytime I'm invited and share the word, I'm constrained by time and also by a congregation's patience from developing a larger, perhaps even better narrative of what is going on in Mark's gospel. The incredible larger themes, which are also part of this understanding of installation of pastor and especially a pastor to mission. Themes of calling, themes of mission in Mark's gospel of discipleship that are focused in healing and salvation and faith. Just a few of the minor ideas that are captured up 
in Mark's gospel in just a few short chapters, 8, 9, and 10, a pericope, a section of what we look at, of which I am reading just a very small part. Mark's gospel is a masterwork of art of which I'm only getting to look at a few brief brushstrokes. The challenge of bringing forth the word. See, our reading this morning that has been shared is at the end of this section, one which has been lifting up the image of a disciple, which is something that Mark's gospel keeps forcing us to have to deal with as you read through it, keeps placing before his readers. It's contrasting backwards and forwards and over and over the understanding Jesus has about what it means to follow, to be in love with God, to have a relationship and our understandings of what it means to be a disciple, one who follows. What does it look like? More importantly in Mark's gospel, what is a disciple to do? And today's passage is a bookend from this larger section of chapters 8 to 9 and 10 that has begun with the healing of yet another blind man, one that is not known by us in the sense of no name is given, and this one that bookends it with the blind son of Timaeus, Bartimaeus. And I'm going to share with you that the end passages in between include Peter's confession of faith, a response to Jesus' question of who do you say I am, that is then followed by Jesus' transfiguration going up upon the mountain where he gathers with Elijah and Moses, witnessed by these disciples, Peter and James and John. And then the subsequent inability of the disciples to heal a young boy because of their inability to pray. That also includes teachings of Jesus about divorce and death and the cost of discipleship that includes an important argument that the apostles are having about who is going to be greater in the kingdom, Jesus. All of which are heady stuff and worth to think about and reflect upon. But that's not my job this morning. Because it is setting the stage for the narrative of our reading, I believe. Those same larger-than-life gospel characters are assembled in our reading. Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem with the, for us, the expected, known passion that he is going to soon experience, which the disciples are completely ignorant of. Three times in Mark's gospel before this reading, he has told them, has shared with them, has foretold of his own death and what it will cost and what it will eventually mean. And three different times the disciples have completely misunderstood. But we know the end of the story that they will eventually figure it out. The disciples which is shorthand for Mark for a group of people, the 12 apostles and others, most likely men and women, who followed Jesus around from town to town the best they could. They are gathered with Jesus, moving towards this ultimate destination of Jerusalem. And as well, there's a multitude, which again is Mark's language for a parade of people. People who are less intimate in their connection with Jesus. 
Perhaps many who likewise have been following as they've been able from place to place and have received food on a hillside. Men and women who recognize in Jesus something significant and different or at least entertaining and want to gather and see what he's going to continue to do. No doubt there are people there who will shortly once again be among Mark's multitudes who are shouting as Jesus moves into Jerusalem of Hosanna. And then shortly we'll be shouting as well, crucify him in Jerusalem. And finally, there is another one who is separate from the throng, a true outsider, a blind beggar whose name we are given, Bartimaeus, Timaeus' son, who passes every day from the throngs sitting outside of the walls of the city, described for us sitting on a cloak, dependent upon the benevolences and the charity of any who pass by, now this multitude and this crowd and these disciples and Jesus looking for something. An outsider who is conversant, opposite of all those that Jesus or Mark has been describing who are walking around with Jesus now. He truly is a stranger, someone who has nothing to offer Jesus. Nothing in which to engage either in conversation or in reality of life. Nothing to bargain with or to give to or to follow or be a part of. Bartimaeus stands in parallel, though, with others in Mark's gospel for whom Jesus has touched and has healed. The woman who was bleeding. Children and another unnamed blind man who similarly looks for his sight, ones who we are forced to reckon with who are those without, those who have no chance of anything, of having, all who have been forced to the edge of society, clinging in desperation, we have to recognize and wrestle with the image of Mark of powerlessness and outcasts, the ones for whom God has sent a savior, the ones that we have to wrestle with. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus and recognize and deal with and serve in mission with? One summer I had the privilege of taking 15 high school students to a large city like Atlanta, Cincinnati, to serve in a ministry that takes abandoned buildings that guts them completely until only the floors are left and then to remodel them so that low income and people without the security of homes can live and takes the discarded and makes them useful again. And for a week we served in this ministry Part of the ministry was to eat our meals in a local shelter and then to leave and trudge the same paths as those unknown people. Back and forth to the work site and to the shelter to eat, growing accustomed to their presence as we ate with them and left with them and walked with them, but also recognizing that as we did, we would forget their identities, their names. There seemed to be so many of them always. 
A hundred or so people would gather and be present with us for about 30 minutes around the mealtime and then disappear as we worked back, walked back to the work site. They would disappear into their places in the city where they spent their hours away from the eyes of others. And one afternoon while working in another building with temperatures over 90 degrees and the humidity at 100%, something that you here in Atlanta regularly experience that we don't in the mountains of Tennessee, we felt the cooling effects of an approaching thunderstorm as it made its way downtown. And in the height of the storm, one of my students looking out of the window exclaimed to us, where have all these people come from? As we looked out and there were hundreds of homeless people making their way down the streets back towards the shelter to get out of the raging storm, seeking the protection of roof and walls. And it made me stop to think about how many times we, I, travel down the streets of any major city and step around the outsiders, the discarded, the social cast-offs. Every time I travel to a large city like New York or Chicago or even Atlanta now, there are those whom I want to overlook, to forget, to move around because they make me so uncomfortable. Things haven't changed too much in 2,000 years. Bartimaeus, Mark describes, is not one that you would want to bring into your home, probably one that we would quit giving money to, especially day after day after day, noting him there, sitting on his cloak, week after week and month after month, or perhaps even year after year, as he had become a non-entity, a non-existent person. Three times... The Greek proclaims in Mark's translation, Bartimaeus cries out, sitting on the side of the road as this parade and multitudes moves past him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And just a quick aside, this is the first time in Mark's gospel that anyone has recognized who Jesus is. I want you to catch that. The blind man knows the Son of God and calls him by name. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the multitude's response is, keep quiet. Those around him say, don't interrupt, quit causing trouble. Because now Bartimaeus has become evident He's unavoidable, unavoidable. He's making a scene. Shut up, they cry. And Bartimaeus yells out even louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, afraid that once again he may be passed by. And his only recourse, blind, sitting, is to yell louder for fear that he will be missed again because he can't see. Listening intently for the voice that will respond to his cry out of the din and the noise that's associated in the people that are yelling with him. And then it happens. Jesus stops. And it's interesting to note, for me at least, 
that Mark records not only Jesus' response, but an invitation to the crowds to respond, to call Bartimaeus to him, to participate, if you will, in what is about to take place. That is also paralleling three times the plea from Bartimaeus, three times the call goes out and the crowd is to be a part of that. Jesus seeking out this blind beggar. And I don't want you to miss it. Jesus is seeking, he's looking for, he's searching, if you will, for the one that is calling to him. Jesus' invitation in response begins to transform even the crowd who become agents of God, if you will. A bold mission reminder for me this morning as we, you and I, begin to celebrate with one whom Roswell Presbyterian Church has called to lead and to serve with you in specific missions for the church of God's redeeming of all and creation. What do you want me to do for you, says Jesus? Asking but not presuming, never forcing. It's the same question that he asked of the other blind man at the beginning of this section in chapter 8. <clears throat> and the same question he asks of the paralytic at the sheep gate in Luke's gospel. What do you want me to do for you? And I can't help but think this may be the second most important question of all the gospels following the first, which is also included in this larger section in Mark's gospel of who do you say I am? What do you want me to do for you? Because both questions redefine who or whose we are. Because for most of us, our brokenness, our damaged self, our personal outcastness is no longer as evident as the blind son of Timaeus sitting on the side of the road. Instead, our brokenness has become turned inward where it festers in the darkness, away from care and help, away from healing and wholeness. Perhaps it's a shattered dream of what we expected our life would be or damage that has occurred because of parents or career or destruction of hopes and purposes in a fallen world. Perhaps it's others that have let us down. Inwardly we cry and pray, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. Wanting to live a more faithful life to follow Jesus and find instead that we are like the disciples throughout Mark's gospel, especially in this section, who are ignorant, who are wrongly focused, who are as blind as Bartimaeus but don't recognize it. Because we miss too easily the, the truth and the reality of who is Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of God, or what his purpose is, unable to see, unable to understand. And Jesus stands there and asks, what do you want me to do for you? What is your greatest need? Where is your brokenness so painful that the touch of the healer is needed to repair? For one of my friends, Jason, it was just a simple longing to be loved. The longing to be needed. And so instead he filled his life with fleeting things. 
temporary things, one failed relationship after another, longing for the love of a parent, but he didn't know where to turn. Or for Sandra, it was searching for the security that growing up poor never provided for, so she worked two separate jobs and hoarded her money, based all of her decisions upon a bottom line of weighing the cost, the profit margin, and was miserable. For Stan, it was just the longing of peace. Images of loss and death and war never left his mind. And so drugs initially brought that peacefulness until they created their own chaos in his life and he longed for peace. What is it that you want me to do for you, Jesus asks. Never forcing, never presuming. Rabbi, I want to see, Bartimaeus reply. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Sissokin is the Greek word there, or better yet, we use the word of your faith has made you whole. You've probably heard that shalom is another uh, defining of that wholeness that's also captured in this word. To de it's describing, though, the sense of restored relationships. It's used to describe unity of family, of men and women, sissokin. Your faith has made you whole. But it means so much more. It literally is taken from the image of a shattered jar that the pieces then are put back together and glued and made functional again. It means to bring wholeness into physical life and emotional life and relationships and to discover that that is what we have been created for. That's what Jesus means when he says to Bartimaeus, your faith has made you whole has made you well. And so at one level, we get to see Bartimaeus receiving his sight and seeing that he can use those eyes physically again and become whole, but at a deeper level. We already know, and this is the question for the disciples to wrestle with, salvation, wholeness has come to him. No longer will he be an outcast on the very edges of life of the city or discarded. He is whole and complete and saved. And Mark shows us this new wholeness in two ways. First, not just the sight, but Bartimaeus' response is to follow Jesus. Here is the one who has understood his wholeness in terms of not sight, but in relationship with God and purpose. Mark uses this statement, on the way he's invited. The call of Jesus, the Christ for him, and then immediately receiving his sight. Bartimaeus began to follow Jesus, to join Jesus on the way. In our Revised Standard Versions, it says, and immediately after he received his sight and he followed him on the way. But I like Eugene Peterson's in the message when he says that instantly he recovered his sight and followed Jesus down the road. An image of recognition and purpose. The physical cure is only the concluding observation of a reoriented, a transformed life, a whole life that is now following Jesus down the road. But there's another, and I think even more important, description of what this wholeness means. 
that occurs earlier in the verse 50 when Bartimaeus, upon hearing Jesus call him, he casts aside his cloak. He left it and never returned to it. Because what is a man who now can see need with an old cloak anyway? He can go out and earn enough money to buy another one. But this is the one thing that Bartimaeus had owned, the one possession that he would never have departed with. It has been his protection in the elements of rain and cold. He has wrapped himself in it to sleep in at night. And if it weren't important, Mark wouldn't have called our attention to it, pointing to it for all to know and see. If this man had been a child, we would say this is his security blanket. But for a blind beggar on the side of the road, it is all he has in life, which is now cast aside and forgotten as new life has come and he is following Jesus. The very thing, this cloak that has given him security and meaning compared to a new transformed whole life that is offered by Jesus is worthless and is cast aside. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asks. What are we to leave behind as we journey in wholeness and life, the very things that we cling to to give us purpose and value and meaning compared to the life Jesus is offering. Bartimaeus recognized that Jesus Christ was walking by and he had nothing else to lose but everything else to gain. The crowd said, cheer up. Get up on your feet, he's calling throwing aside his cloak, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. May it be for us and for you as you serve now, proclaiming that same message with Dan for the world that is longing to hear it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may I pray. Father, for the gift of Life we see here, that is life offered for us, I praise you. Continue to mold me, us, in that understanding of transformed life. To your glory, I pray, in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.